Hi, welcome to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute and a fellow with the International Leadership Association. This podcast is part of a series hosted in conjunction with the International Leadership Association as part of their 2020 Global Leadership Conference, focusing on leading at the edge. At the Innovative Leadership Institute, we help leaders elevate the quality of their leadership and co-create the thriving future they seek. We assist them in navigating the disruptive trends they're facing, developing strategies to elevate themselves and their organizations to continually meet the challenges they face. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the content. Today, we're gonna be talking about becoming a better leader, daily leadership development. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leaders across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders with navigating disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that on our show today is Ron Riggio. Ron is the Henry R. Kravis Professor of Leadership and Organizational Psychology at Claremont McKenna College. He's the author of more than a dozen books and more than a hundred research articles and book chapters in the areas of leadership, organizational psychology, and social psychology. He served on the boards of numerous journals and writes the cutting edge leadership blog at Psychology Today. At the 2020 International Leadership Association Conference, Ron was one of two people awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award. And Ron, I am so delighted that you are joining us for the conversation. Well, thank you for having me here. So what we know is great leaders are also great learners is often quoted, but how can leaders implement this into their very hectic day? Ron has created a year-long leadership development guide that offers day-to-day instructions in short excerpts to provide leaders with knowledge and practical application ideas. Ron joins me today to discuss his new book, Daily Leadership Development, and his Lifetime Achievement Award, and his views on leadership right now. So Ron, thank you so much for joining us. What do you want to tell our listeners before we jump into the conversation? One of the things that I'm really focusing on is trying to reach people and give them sound, research-based, evidence-based practice tips on how to become a better leader. Because I think that leadership is even more important today than it's ever been. And so this is kind of my opportunity to give back and to really focus on developing the next generation of leaders. Thank you for one, for your brilliant work over such an extended period of time and for your commitment to this work. Cause I agree that leadership is so foundational to the quality of world that going forward, given the tipping points that we're experiencing on so many different levels. Yeah, we can look at governmental leaders, we can look at issues surrounding social movements, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and all this. And and these are all issues that are going to have a profound impact on the world in which we live. We've got 
leadership challenges that are overwhelming. I mean, global warming, the increasing divide between people here in the United States and everywhere around the world. And, you know, to solve these problems, we have to come together and coming together and getting these problems solved is all about leadership. It's all about the quality of leadership. So as you mentioned that, congratulations on your Lifetime Achievement Award. And as you look back at a rich life of contribution to the study of leadership, what do you feel has led to the biggest impact on the field of leadership? Well, I think, I think one of the things that we've seen over time is kind of simplistic ideas about leadership, right? That leader, leadership resides in the leader. And I think the big contribution that leadership scholars and practitioners have, have given to, uh, to our knowledge base is realizing that leadership is extremely complex, that it's leaders and followers together in a situation, in a context that create leadership. So it's co-produced. It's, leadership is not something that leaders do. It's something leaders and followers do within a particular context or situation. So I think that's one of the most important findings, you know, that comes out of the research on leadership. And so leadership today, and I'll even make the distinction in 2020, pre-COVID, post-COVID, I'm assuming that what is required is slightly different. At least that would be my belief. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that leadership is is going to change. I mean, I think our, our society is going to change in important ways due to the pandemic. But there are other big events that happen, historical events and historical issues that happen that, that cause us to rethink leadership. And I think it's kind of a constant process of, of rethinking, reformulating, how do we best lead. And, and when we talk about leadership, it's about bringing people together for a shared purpose. And you know, that's the critical element. And how we go about doing that may may change, and it may change because of the pandemic. You know, for example, I mean, leaders in the workplace right now are, are leading at a distance, and they're not there to monitor employees. And so if we think about old school notions of supervision, eyes on the, on the supervisee, and, and you can't do that when they're working remotely from home. And even when you have Zoom meetings and you know these, these kind of uh, video conferences, there's a whole different set of dynamics and leaders have to adapt to all of those changes. So the pandemic is going to make us change in in some ways and in some important ways, I think. You know, it's interesting to think about arc of time. So you've said you've been doing your work for 40 plus years. And while we're in the middle of the pandemic, this seems and is for most of us, the biggest thing happening with regard to leadership. And yet I interviewed someone a couple of days ago, the former CEO of Dunkin' Donuts, and he was in that role for 35 years. And so he led through a near bankruptcy and some other things. And so if we take leadership as a something we do over decades, it'll be interesting to see how much of this will actually change the field and how much is just the challenge of this period of time. Yeah, there are challenges that come about. One way to look at it is if we can look at the pandemic as sort of a crisis and say, okay, it's a crisis. It's unique in many ways from other crises, but some of the same do's and don'ts of good crisis leadership 
are consistent across those situations. So let me give you an example. So my college was incredibly prepared for everybody moving off campus and teaching remotely. And why were we incredibly prepared? Well, we're in Southern California and we had a committee that uh, standing committee that looked at the case of what happens when the big earthquake hits, because that's inevitable in Southern California. And the situation of an earthquake meant we, the buildings were unusable. Well, the pandemic also meant that our buildings were unusable and we had to move to remote teaching. So what happened was that committee that had done the preparations for the big earthquake just transitioned to preparations for teaching remotely in a pandemic. And so, and so rule number one of leading in a crisis is be prepared, be prepared for all inevitabilities. You know, the U.S. had a pandemic response team that was disbanded. So that was a problem in terms of dealing with it because it, it meant that we were less prepared. And that's interestingly one of the things, and I think you're pointing to it, that as leaders, we need to really be focusing because of the current level of volatility with things like climate and lack of biodiversity and geopolitical instability and artificial intelligence and machine learning, we just have more volatility. And so paying attention to trends seems like another area where leaders must give more attention than they did even a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Part of that too is, as you suggested, there's the volatility, you know, using the the VUCA acronym, right? The the Mm -hmm. uncertainty, ambiguity, and and clearly we're in a much more complex world as the world becomes more complex. And, And that's, I think I started out saying the trend has been looking at leadership from the simple to the more complex and our problems have become more complex. So the leadership challenge is greater simply because of that complexity. And yet some people still think they can simplify some of the challenges we're facing. Yeah. I I mean, I think that there's always this kind of search for the, you know, for the magic, the silver bullet, you know, the one thing that's going to solve all of our problems, but it's much more complex than that. So let's step into the conversation about the book and why did you think this was necessary? This was something that I was thinking about for a long time, and I worked on it for a while. It comes from this idea, because here at at the institute that I'm in, we're looking at college student leader development. I mean, that's one of our our missions, right? We do research Mm -hmm. on, on leadership, but we also want to develop our students into the next generation of leaders. And the one thing that we really know about leadership development is that it's it's hard work. It's not something that's going to, you know, happen on a a weekend leadership retreat, you know, or or a survival task or something like that. It's an ongoing process. My colleague here, David Day, who's, who's a big name in the leadership development field, he uses this analogy that when people go off to these leadership events, he said it's like a, a ticket to the amusement park. And so you, you go and you sort of have a good time and you learn something about, or you think you learn something about leadership. And he said, that's the wrong analogy. He said, it's, the analogy is leadership development is like a gym membership. And you can get the gym membership. And just like a lot of people who maybe will get their Christmas gift will be a gym membership. If you don't use it, it's no good. And it's something you have to work at every day. That was basically the impetus behind this. So I wanted to come up with something that I could 
maybe give to my students upon graduation, where they're no longer involved in our leader development programs, but I want them to continue their, to think about their, their leadership development going forward. So it's a, it's a day-by-day guide to leadership. It's funny that you use the gym membership piece because one of the programs I teach is three hours a month. And my partner took up uh, Tung So Do or a karate kind of program. And I would liken it to, he would go to class and practice and I would go to the movie theater and watch Chuck Norris. One of us will become good and <laughs> one of us will be entertained. <laughs> that, that by showing up for an event once a month for a few hours, we don't get better. That it yeah. takes concerted effort. And I realize for people who are already absolutely overwhelmed in their work, that it is going to be a prioritization and a choice to focus on this rather than something else, unless we can figure out how to add more hours to the day. That was kind of the idea. The idea was the the excerpts, the daily lessons are, Mm -hmm. are really brief. I mean, you can read them in one or two minutes. And then there's a reflection on development that you might keep with you throughout the day or even throughout the week or month. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, what can you do in a couple of minutes that will stimulate you to continue to work on your leader development? Just like, you know, getting up and doing calisthenics or doing some sort of exercise in the morning. That's the idea behind it. And, you know, the way I laid the book out is I laid it out as kind of a, you know, a reading a day, a lesson a day, something to try. But it also sort of covers the lifespan. So I'm hoping that people, that this will be the kind of book that will be on your nightstand and you pick it up in the morning and read an excerpt and then say, how, what am I going to do today to become a better leader, to develop my leadership? But it also sort of crosses the lifespan because as you get near the end of the book, it starts talking about things like, well, how, how should you prepare for retirement? What should you, and, and there's a focus on your legacy, leaving a legacy behind. And so it, it sort of does kind of follow the, the lifespan too. So I'm hoping it's something that people will keep with them. So I imagine I'm thinking of books like this that I've used. There are times when I'll take one lesson and use it for a whole week, that it's so rich that I don't need to get through it in a year and then set it aside it's something I can, to your point, take with me and reuse over time. Yeah. I think I started off by saying how to use this book. You can use it a day at a time. You can use it a week at a time because it's broken up into kind of weekly topics. And really, it's it was a kind of ambitious undertaking. So what <laughs> I tried to do was incorporate kind of a course on leadership theories. What do we know about leadership theories and how can we apply those theories? It's of course on what do we know about leader development? And then there's elements in there that are going to help the current leader. So there are sort of best practices in the area of human resources, best practices as we talked about in crisis leadership. So it puts you into different kinds of scenarios and extracts, you know, lessons from what we know about the literature, right? I love that it's research-based. The whole reason we call our organization the Innovative Leadership Institute is, I think you and I are pointing to the same thing. Leaders are busy. They often spend their learning time learning about their field 
or a new technology in their field. So my physician clients are keeping current on medicine. They aren't necessarily learning about being a better leader while what they're paid as their primary focus is leadership. I think people occasionally or often don't think that of themselves, first of all, as their skills as a depreciating asset. And if they haven't refreshed them and holding up my mobile phone, this thing gets replaced every two years because it's out of date or it breaks. It just invariably, the things stop working. We don't think of ourselves as we stop being effective because our bodies don't necessarily stop working. But the thinking algorithms we use may be quite out of date. Yeah, I reflected back. So I think almost 40 years ago, I wrote something and I was sort of chastising managers because back then we used the term manager and management. And I said, you know, I grew up, my, my father was a physician, right? And, and even today, he's long retired, but he still reads medical journals, right? He still gets his, his medical journals. You wouldn't go to a doctor who said, well, I learned everything in medical school and I haven't kept up. And, you know, I learned all the techniques then. And now 20, 30 years later, I'm going to perform surgery on you. Or worse leeches. Yeah, right. <laughs> something, something from another century, right? You know, you have to make this commitment. So, so back then I said, managers need to think of themselves as professionals. Well, I think there's been a transformation. I think that most people who are supervising people do think of themselves in, as a leader and they do they are concerned about developing as as a leader so i think times have changed the problem is as you suggested maureen you don't have enough time in the day to do it so how can we best use the 10 or 15 minutes or an hour that we have to actually develop our our leadership and so there's all you know and i have a lot of resources that i put in there there's assessments or links to assessments so you can get some feedback because that's critically important i told my daughter i said she said what's in the book i said sort of everything i know right there so there this is a very big book it's very, it's pretty big. And in fact, that's why it's not in paperback because it's so big. And if you're going to use it every day, I knew a paperback would disintegrate. The spine wouldn't hold it. So it's only produced in hardcover or ebook, obviously, because that's not a problem. Yeah, it's a hundred thousand words, and, but, but it's broken up into short, very short segments, but there's a lot in there. I mean, there, there really is. I put a, put a lot of, a lot of time into it. For our listeners, I encourage you to think about where are you spending your precious learning time where you're actually focusing on building your leadership? Thank you for joining us, Maureen Metcalf and Ron Riggio, Innovating Leaders, Co-Creating Our Future. And we're talking about Ron's book and daily leadership. So Ron, as we re-enter the conversation, you talk about leadership frameworks and as a big advocate of frameworks, I think it's helpful for people to know them not as a student in a university where they can repeat them back, because at least for me, being a good leader isn't being able to spout theories, it's living them. Can you give some examples of frameworks that you think are foundational and why? Let's connect back to what you just spoke about. I'm a big, I've uh, done some work in transformational leadership and work with Bernie Bass on that. 
And, you know, transformational leadership is a theory and you would go to a class on leadership and you would learn the complexity of the theories. Well, one of the things that I tried to do with transformational leadership is to take it and break it down into small chunks, right? Daily lessons. So each of the elements of transformational leadership. So the, the theories explained in very common sense terms. And then how can we work on each of the elements to become a more transformational leader? So it's all very research-based, but we're skipping a lot of the research and really focusing on how can you use it? So let me give you another example. Everybody talks about the importance for leaders in being emotionally intelligent. Okay, well, what does that really mean, you know? And so what I've done is I have a week in there on not just emotional intelligence, but also social intelligence, which doesn't get as much attention, but I think it's even more important for leaders because social intelligence is sort of knowing how to be in a social situation or how, how to be in a relationship. And so there's a whole week on that, just breaking down into, you know, what are the elements and what are the elements you can work on to increase your emotional capacity, to increase your social intelligence. So it's done in a very common sense way. I break it down into skills. So I don't even like the term emotional intelligence because I've done research on emotional skill, right? What are the skills that people have in reading emotions and enacting emotions? Same thing with social skills. What are the social skills, the relationship skills that you need as a leader? So it's all kind of broken down in this sort of step-by-step -step fashion. And again, this is an area where I can imagine someone could spend a month or two months or six months on just that week's worth of lessons. Yeah, and, and then you're gonna get some things to contemplate, you know, so there's always a tip for development. So what can you do to develop your particular emotional competency? Or what can you do to strengthen the inspirational motivation component of transformational leadership? So in common sense terms, how can I be a more inspirational leader? What are the things that I can do? So that's really what I was striving toward. And, and again, it was like speaking to my recent students who are now out in the world leading and saying, you know, remember when we talked about this concept, how can that concept help you become a better leader? How can you practice what we taught back in school? So that was kind of the idea is to keep, keep them going, keep them developing. I'm going to jump into some details because I'm curious. How do you teach people to inspire? Because that seems like, you know, we talk about charisma and those kinds of things. And yet there are also factors like trust. If you're not trustworthy, I'm not going to be inspired by you and I'm not going to follow you. Yeah. One of the critical things about inspiring other people is to find some common values right? And align those values. So if we think about this in the work context, leading in a work context, why are you working here, right? What's the purpose and what are your goals and what do you value? And so leaders have to say, well, you know, this have to align their values, the organization's values with the followers, the employees' goals and values. And that's a critical part of inspiration. I mean, yes, of course, there's also the emotional component. I mean, nobody's going to follow a leader that doesn't look 
passionate or doesn't look like they're, they're, they really care about what they're doing. Optimism is important. And so we mentioned that, right? Be optimistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's going to follow a pessimistic leader. You know, well, we can't do it. So why, you know, <laughs> why try, right? So, it, you know, it kind of breaks it down into those pieces and says, well, so how can you align values? How can you be more optimistic or come across more? How can you commit people to the mission of the organization? So one of the things I talk about is make sure you repeat the mission and get people to think about what does the mission or the purpose of our, why are we together and get them to say it in their own words so that I can understand. So if I'm working with you, Maureen, my purpose here is to educate and enlighten people. How do you see that being a, a member of this organization? So you try to get on the get people on the same page. Motivating people is much more about it's much more than cheerleading. I'm not surprised by this, but I so appreciate your depth that when I ask a question, you're giving a, a substantive answer, not the oh, you just make sure you you know fill in the blank. Because it is, this field of leadership is incredibly complex. And to your point, it's also situational that even if I was good in January, I may not be good in my own organization in December, given what's happened with the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So a big part of it is assessing what's going on, right? Staying in touch with your people and the people that you're leading and finding out where they are right now, you know, so that, you know, we used to call it management by walking around. Okay. So what's the virtual version of management by walking around? And actually it's interesting. I don't think this made it in the book because it was written. Well, it was written at the, I finished it up through the pandemic, but I don't have a lot of pandemic references in there. I have some. But I was thinking about the virtues of what we're on right now, a video platform, we're on Zoom, right? And I was Mm -hmm. thinking about the virtues of it. And one of the virtues is, like right now, I'm looking at the screen, Maureen, it's just you and me. And it allows us this kind of connection that we might not have if if I just sort of passed by your office and checked in on you. I'm looking at, you know, we're looking at each other face to face. Yes, it's not live. I mean, I think there are positive aspects to this remote working that can actually be beneficial for leaders to get to know their employees better, have these check-ins. I know a lot of people are saying right now, as we're in the middle of the pandemic, they're, they're done with virtual happy hours, right? Because that's just drinking alone uh, on a screen, but not that, I mean, a real honest connection. And, you know, you can do that with, with this technology. As a consultant, I was on airplanes often or driving around. So I now have a lot of extra hours a week. Some of that I spend working out and sleeping and eating healthy, which I greatly appreciate. But the other is I've got more time to reflect. And to your point, I feel as deeply connected often looking at someone on a Zoom screen or I'll throw on my headset and go for a walk and my clients will be walking also. So we're not standing in front of a screen where we get so exhausted by the screen and the lights and the stuff, but we get outside and we are just as if I were in a walking meeting with a client. I think if we're creative, there are a lot of ways that we can use our skills to 
connect more deeply to your point, even then often if we're in a room, we're multitasking and we're still not focused on the person in front of us. Yeah. And you mentioned my psychology today blog, and I wrote a piece on, you know, what's the silver lining of the pandemic? What are some things that, you know, that are coming out of this that are positive? And as you suggested, I know there are a lot of people who are having difficulty with it and they're depressed and they're, and maybe eating the wrong things or eating too much or whatever, but you can become healthier. You can exercise at home. There are things that you can do. And as you suggested, there's a lot of extra time created because we're not commuting, we're not traveling. So how can we turn those things to our advantage? And so the other element that I sort of intended with this book in the last day says this, says stay in touch. And so my, my goal is that there's way more than, you know, I can come up with more than 365 pieces. So I continue to put them up on my blog. And so the mm-hmm. idea is stay connected is what I think the, the title of the last day is, stay connected. You know, we'll sort of develop as new catastrophes and new crises come up, we'll learn new lessons and we'll, we'll sort of continue the journey because re- leadership development is a journey, right? It's not a destination. It's a journey. Well, so speak a little bit to that because again, we've talked arc of time. We've talked, there are some lessons of leadership that are developing emotional intelligence, developing social capabilities are, are foundational and how I do them on Zoom or walk-in call or in person, the tactics may be different, but the foundation is still solid. And you said earlier, crisis leadership leading in a pandemic may not be dramatically different than leading during a bankruptcy or an earthquake. And yet the field of neuropsychology is developing and some others where we really do see leadership as different. Can you speak to how we combine teaching the solid foundation that doesn't change and the parts that do. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think a lot of that is you've got to have that foundation because it's that foundation that, that provides the understanding so that you can become creative and innovative. And that's a really growing area in leadership is how do you lead for creativity and innovation? And so if you think about the tech industry, we have a Silicon Valley program. And I I used to fly up there and teach weekend classes to our students who were up doing internships in Silicon Valley. Of course, now during COVID, we, we have that online too. But leading for creativity is in and of itself a topic that is being researched, that's being developed. And there is a whole week on leadership and creativity in the book. What do we know about how to stimulate innovation? And a big part of that, and I don't think we realize this enough, is that the creativity and innovation comes out through good leadership, through empowering the followers. If we look at Silicon Valley organizations, cutting edge technology organizations, the followers know more than the leaders about the technology. And what you have to do is harness that collective power. So what the goal of learning the foundational elements of leadership provides that platform for you to lead in a crisis, to lead where you need to be more innovative and creative. You've got to solve a problem. You've got to create a new product, right? But you've got to have that solid foundation to start with. 
Are there, and again, I realize we're boiling down 40 years and thousands of pages of research just in your life. So I'm not looking for the silver bullet, but are there a couple of things that rise to the top of your list of things that must be done well for good leadership? There was a movie I was watching and he said, what's the one thing? What's the one purpose or whatever? And I thought, okay, from a leadership standpoint, what is the one thing if you could only develop one thing? And so I have a day on there. What's the one thing is become a better communicator because the only way you can interact with anybody in a leadership position is through communication. So if there's one thing, it's that. Now, what are some of the other elements that are in there? Well, one thing that we know from leadership development research is we learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do from our successes, right? We learn more from errors than we do from successes because it's very rare that people reflect on a success and say, well, how did that work? How did I make that work? But when you fail, you really do do a lot of reflections. So leaders develop through that kind of learning like trying to figure out why you failed and how you're going to succeed going forward. So for that and for leader development, I borrow something that we've been using here and I've used it. They use it in a lot of places is the after action review that comes out of the military, right? So the AAR kind of idea. So that's incorporated throughout the book. How do you do an after action review? How do you diagnose after a failure? Some of the other things in there, I have sort of the basic toolkit, and obviously the one thing, being a better communicator, comes very early because that's very foundational. But near the end of the book are the advanced leader toolkit, which includes leading in a crisis, you know, leading in a kind of an innovative situation. So it's kind of all laid out there, but there's an awful lot to learn to be an effective leader. As you've said, this is a lifetime pursuit not a three credit course over the summer. Yeah. You can probably learn some things in these ongoing leadership development workshops, but if you don't work on it in between, then you're not going to be able to connect the dots. You've got to apply what you're learning. And so the idea here is to try to get people thinking about their development in an ongoing way. And again, I could fill in the blank with hundreds of of theories and practices. One of the things I really like is the idea that I'm gonna set an intention for the day. So I'm gonna practice the skill. I practice it. Mm-hmm. I get feedback on at the end of the day and I reflect on it and incorporating your after action idea and also just this deliberate focus. If I say this is important or if, I, if I'm just experimenting, I've said often, the leader needs to take on the mind of the scientist. I'm continually improving and growing and I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of answers, but there's a whole bunch I don't know. And that openness and experimentation allows me to keep learning. Yeah. And you know, the best leaders that I've ever met are leaders that say, you know, they know they're good at what they do, but they know they can get better. And there's this big kind of new area that's getting a lot of attention is leader humility, right? And if we sort of boil humility down, what is humility? Well, for a high level leader, what is, what is humility? We know that that's that kind of thing that really differentiates the very top level leaders from the, the also good, but not great. 
And if you boil humility down, it's really saying, you know, I don't know it all. I can become better. And that's the aspect of humility that is really critically important for those high-level leaders is I know I can get better. I'm striving to get better. And we have an advisory board of some very accomplished, very well-known C-level people. And why do they stay connected to a kind of research and undergraduate student development center? The reason is because we sometimes give them the latest and greatest stuff that's coming out from the research and scholarship and leadership. And they, they love that. They love hearing it early on and learning from it. Our organization has seven competencies. They were published in the ILI book, Leader 2050. And humility is the first one. And it is, as you say, I'm good at what I do. And it is always about getting it right ahead of being right. So recently I've been using Anthony Fauci as an example as a leader, the science and the science community did not early in the pandemic have a clear picture of what was required. Mm -hmm. So the medical teams gave the best information available. The science continues to accumulate better information. And if a leader isn't humble, they're not standing up and saying, okay, we were directionally correct or we were wrong. It doesn't mean I'm stupid or I'm bad or I'm incompetent. It means the science wasn't yet clear. It's becoming more clear daily. And I continue to share openly the best information. That's right. And you see the reactions to Dr. Fauci. They're saying, well, he's wishy-washy. He's changed his opinion, right? And that's just so short-sighted because what exactly as you said, he's changing some of the directions that he's giving based on the evidence, right? And that's the important point. I think where a lot of people misjudge leaders is they say, well, that leader changed his or her mind and is now going in a different direction. Well, you want to find out why did they change their mind? Is it evidence-based? So I think he's a terrific example. Now, what's interesting is I gave a talk to faculty at a British university yesterday on followership. And Fauci is not just a great leader, Dr. Fauci, but he also suggests a really good follower. And I'll, I'll steal the, the subtitle of my friend Ira Chalif's book on courageous followership. Sometimes you have to stand up to the leader and say, hey, you're wrong. And then sometimes you have to stand up for the leader and say, yes, you're going down the right path. And that's the follower role. So there's a whole bunch of information in the book on followers and followership, because we know that learning to follow is a prerequisite for learning to lead. So the best leaders are also the best followers. What a brilliant way to bring the conversation to a close. As you say that, I think of a Tai Chi move or a dance that leaders can't lead without followers and followers can't follow without leaders. And back to the values, if we value the same thing, we're able to move in a similar, often not simpatico. I I will still step on your feet occasionally if we're dancing. But we will still enjoy the process as long as we are both at least doing the foxtrot or a tango. But if one's doing one and one's doing the other, it's messy. Yeah, yeah. No, we're on the same page, right? Yeah. So, Ron, is there anything you want to share as we close 
with our listeners, again, you are celebrating and ILA is celebrating with you an incredible career. What would you like listeners to think of as we're wrapping up? Well, let me mention something we didn't get to, but that's that idea of good leadership, right? Because what we want is good leadership. And I'll tell you one of the fundamental problems that I think people have is they equate effective with good. And I separate those. I mean, it's one thing to be effective to reach your goals, but do you do it in a way that's positive, that's a good way, that leaves everybody better off, that leads to better outcomes for everyone. So there are lots of examples of leaders who are effective, but they weren't good. They got things done, right? But they did it in a bad way. They harmed people in the process or they harmed the environment in the process. So I think we need to really think about that because we really have a need for good leadership moving forward. Thank you. That is a brilliant way to close I'm not going to add anything to that because it's <laughs> we are at a point in time where we see a range of leaders and some are not good. Yeah, that's what we need. We need good leadership and we need good followership too. We need people to come together and, and solve our problems. Ron, thank you. I so appreciate you sharing your time and your wisdom and your insights with the leaders who are listening to the show, the emerging leaders and people who aspire. How would people find your book or find your blog? Okay. So my blog is on psychology today. It's called Cutting Edge Leadership. I also have a website that has some of the elements for the book. It's called riggioleadership.org. And I put up blog posts on there somewhat regularly. And the book in hardcover is available only at Barnes and Noble. I did that because I wanted to keep the price low for my students. So it's a, it's a kind of massive tome and it's $23.95 at Barnes and Noble. Or you can go to Amazon and you can get the ebook. And purposely, it bottomed out. I mean, the ebook is $9.95. The hardcover is $23.95. And if you know the price of books, I tried to get it as out there as cheaply as I possibly could. That's an incredibly reasonable price. The point is, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for the leadership development. Ron, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for investing your precious time with us today. We're delighted to share the wisdom from the International Leadership Association 2020 Global Leadership Conference, Leading at the Edge. We encourage you to join for additional conversations. Please bookmark this podcast, subscribe, like it, share it with your friends and colleagues. Most importantly, thank you for focusing on elevating your own leadership and making an impact in the world today. Mm -hmm.